Welcome to the radio ministry of the Bernie Church of Christ with Minister Chris Palmer. Bernie Church of Christ meets for worship each Sunday at 10.30 a.m. You can find Bernie Church of Christ at 1 Upper Balconies Road, right next to Starbucks. Now, with today's message, here's Minister Chris Palmer. One Sunday morning when I was a kid, my sister and I went to church with my grandfather. Now, my grandfather was one of the elders in our church, so we went to church uh, with him, next to him, uh, every week. But this particular Sunday morning, my folks were out of town, so we went with granddaddy. He was keeping an eye on us. And after services, Jessica, my sister, and I uh, wanted to put our stuff, our Bibles, notebooks, whatever we had, in granddaddy's car so that we could be free to run around with all the other kids. So we borrowed granddaddy's keys. We unlocked his light blue Cadillac. We dropped off our stuff in the car, locked the doors, closed the doors, and walked off to go play with the other kids. And as we were walking away, my sister froze and let out a screech in terror. And this was my first experience with locking the keys in a car. Clear as day, there we were. Look in the window, and there were the keys sitting on the driver's seat. But we were not hopeless yet. Jessica and I had seen many movies, and it doesn't look that hard in the movies to pick a lock. So, with her hairpin, I didn't wear a hairpin, with her hairpin, or a paperclip, or whatever else we could find, we're sitting there poking and prodding, trying to wiggle open this door lock. But no luck. We jiggled and pulled every door handle about a thousand times, just in the wild hope that maybe one of them would pop open and everything would be okay, but still nothing. And we were sweating and we were terrified. We had no idea what you do if you lock the keys in the car. I just assume you abandon it and just leave it there and and get a new car. There's nothing else you can do. Granddaddy was going to be furious, and he was going to tell my parents, and and my parents were going to be furious too, and the clock was ticking. Granddaddy could not just stand around and chat with people after church for forever. Soon, he was going to be walking up, ready to go home, and he would discover what we had done. How could we be so reckless and careless and absent-minded and irresponsible? And then finally, After every terrible worst-case scenario had run through our heads, after every paperclip had been twisted and bent and proved useless, we had no other choice but to face the music and tell Granddaddy what we'd done. So tearfully, reluctantly, fearfully, sorrowfully, we walked over to him with our heads hanging low. And what was worse is there was an audience. There were other church members who were gathered around Granddaddy, and they were going to be witnesses to our confession and what would certainly be a swift and harsh but deserved punishment. We said we had no idea how it had happened. We had tried everything we could to try to make it right, but the keys were locked in the car, and we were so very sorry. And then we braced for impact, as you do. And I'm not kidding, this is exactly how it happened, or at least exactly how I remember it happening. Granddaddy looked straight down at us. He neither smiled nor frowned. He was ice cold. He didn't say a word. He just slowly and deliberately reached his hand inside of his jacket pocket and pulled out a set of spare keys. 
This was a man who was always prepared, no matter what the situation was. I don't know if he always carried an extra set or if we just got lucky that day. But we laughed and we hugged him and we were so relieved and we could finally breathe, knowing that everything was going to be okay. That is until he saw all the paper clip scratch marks around the keyhole on the car door. But that's another story for another time. We have all been in those locked out moments before. Those situations where we feel absolutely powerless. We are hopeless. There is nothing more that we can do to try to make the situation right, to fix things, to correct the crisis that we found ourselves in. And we feel like we have exhausted every idea we could possibly come up with, every resource at our disposal, every skill and talent we possess, and nothing. I cannot make this happen. I cannot manifest a solution. I cannot unlock this door before me. I so desperately need to, but I can't. I can't make them change their mind. I cannot change the test results. I cannot bring them back. I can't fix the government or the economy, or the world. I can't make myself feel better. I can't find peace. I can't make things the way that they used to be. I can't move forward. I can't get over this. I can't stop going back to the same temptation over and over. I can't forget. I can't rest. I desperately need to. But I can't. Imagine for many or most or all of us over the past couple years, we have felt this a little bit, that sense of powerlessness, that locked up feeling, that feeling of being trapped in a situation that you can't do anything about. One of my favorite things that I absolutely love about Scripture is that Scripture is never shy. It doesn't hide the faults and the failures of the characters in the story, their weaknesses. I mean, there are some pretty embarrassing things written in the Bible. And the people that they are written about, I'm sure, would have loved for those things not to be written down and be read for thousands of years by countless people. But all the same, there they are. David and Bathsheba, it is not a good look. But that story did not get censored out. Gideon hiding in the wine press. It's kind of embarrassing, but it is what it is. Jonah in a fish for three days. Peter's denial. Judas's betrayal. Cain's anger. Paul's violence. Samson's weakness. Moses's frustration. And Israel's rampant unfaithfulness. The Bible does not hide any of their flaws and failures. These are real people, and Scripture tells the story as it really happened. Because as heroic as these stories and these characters may be, they are not the hero of the story. The story is not about them. And if you want to go to Scripture and read some real human emotions, some real human struggles with life as it really is, go read the Psalms sometimes. Uh, these treasured poems and songs have been preserved by the holy text for ages, and they're in there on purpose. They contain some really hard and heavy feelings. There are some tough questions in the Psalms, some cries of lament, 
and really honest frustrations. And sometimes those hard and heavy feelings are pointed and directed right at God. Yet all the same, there they are. Why are they in there? Why weren't they taken out? Why weren't they censored? Because Scripture is the voice of truth. Scripture doesn't have to hide from anything. And these feelings, they're true. Scripture doesn't have to sell out to appear a certain way just to satisfy a certain audience. It doesn't have to put on a happy face when it doesn't feel happy. It's the story of God with humanity. And God doesn't flinch from anything, even our human struggles and our emotions. God can handle it. And so he welcomes that poetry into the Psalms and into his book. And together with tearful authors and tearful readers, our good heavenly father sits there with us, even in times of real hardship and desperation. And he holds us and he guides us through the storm and he carries us back home. And one such psalm that I've been reading and praying through a lot lately is Psalm 71, as Greg read for us just a little while ago. Psalm 71 is sad sometimes, and it's honest, and it's heavy, but it's also beautiful, and it's hopeful, and it's comforting. And over the next few weeks, I want to take some time and look over this psalm in here together, unpack some of its message and some of its feelings, its vulnerabilities, along with its promises. What does it teach us about ourselves and, and our lives? And what does it reveal about the nature and the character of our God? As Greg read for us earlier, I want to look back at those first five, uh, first five verses of Psalm 71. Psalm 71, verses one, verse 1. In you, Lord, do I take refuge. Let me never be put to shame. In your righteousness, deliver me and rescue me. Incline your ear to me and save me. Be to me a rock of refuge to which I may continually come. You have given the command to save me. For you are my rock and my fortress. Rescue me, O my God from the hand of the wicked, from the grasp of the unjust and cruel man. For you, O Lord, are my hope, my trust, O Lord, from my youth. Now, we don't have a lot of background on this psalm, no known author, although there are some similarities with this psalm and and, and some of the ones that David writes. But right here from this opening section, we get a glimpse into what's going on within the writer, within their life, within their world and their story. He's he's trapped, powerless in the grasp, or some translations will say in the clutches of the unjust and the cruel man. There is some antagonist in his life, in in his world that has him all locked up. He is stuck in that place of, I can't. For this writer, he identifies that problem as a person. Maybe for you or me, we can relate to that. There is some villain or some bully that is bringing terror into our lives, but may not be some named nemesis. Maybe it's a disease 
or a trauma or some persistent temptation, the grasp of an unjust and a cruel whatever. And I just can't get free. And we find ourselves feeling desperate. And when we're desperate, we will try all sorts of things to get some comfort, to alleviate the burden. We can be like a caged animal that is fighting and clawing for freedom. And there are a lot of remedies out there that may provide some relief, may take the edge off. But if the solution isn't calling upon the name of God Almighty, eventually that grip only tightens. You're listening to the radio ministry of the Bernie Church of Christ. The Bernie Church of Christ is located at 1 Upper Balconies Road, right next to Starbucks. You can join the Bernie Church of Christ for online or in-person worship each Sunday at 10.30 a.m. Now, with the rest of today's message, here's Minister Chris Palmer. So thankfully for our Psalms author, he turns to God. He says, in you, O Lord, do I take refuge. Deliver me, rescue me, hear me, save me. Be to me a rock of refuge. Now, some versions that you may be reading from will use instead the word strong habitation. Be a strong habitation. I like that translation a little bit better because it has a different tone to it. And I think it better communicates the original language. You see, when we think about a place of refuge, it's a temporary shelter, right? It's a temporary shelter in a time of need. And when the danger has passed, I no longer need the refuge. But the original Hebrew language here is more in line with the word habitation or dwelling or home. Not a temporary residence, only in extreme circumstances, but a permanent address, a place of belonging and familiarity and security. This is where I'm protected with my God, my strong habitation, my fortress. And that's why the writer says, to which I may continually come. And sometimes when we're in that desperate place of powerlessness, only then do I go looking for God's rescue. Only when I've tried everything else do I go looking for God. Only when everything else has fallen short, then I go looking for refuge in God. Then I pray. Then I open my Bible. Then I go and tell a trusted, faith-filled friend. Now, don't get me wrong. It's never too late to do the right thing. It's never too late to seek God when we're in a mess. I mean, that's the parable that Jesus tells of the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15. The son who takes who takes his father's inheritance or takes his inheritance from his father and he goes and he spends it, he blows it, he wastes it on wild parties and shallow friends. And he finds himself feeling very desperate. And it's only when he's hit rock bottom that he then decides to go home. Goodness, it's never too late. The father comes out running to him, running from the house to meet him, to love him, to hug him, to welcome him and to restore him back to sonship. It's never too late. That's who the Father is, our God of never too late. But this psalmist, Psalm 71's writer, he he knows something. 
that home with the Father is not where you go only when you need to retreat, when you've run out of all other options. For this writer, it is his first option. I continually come here. This is my home. It's my permanent location. And you can hear this intimacy that he has with God, my rock, my fortress, my God. It's a relationship. It is an ongoing relationship. It's not transactional or cold, but it's, it's warm and it's loving. He knows God and he is known by God. So he says, for you, O Lord, are my hope, my trust, O Lord, from my youth, because I know you, because I know that we have this relationship with each other, because I continually come back to you. I know that I can trust you, God. I can trust you. And as locked up as I may feel, you are my hope. You have the keys, and you have always had the keys. My salvation and my deliverance. Even though there is all of this evil around me, the unjust and cruel man, God, when I'm with you, I can finally exhale. I trust you with my life. And while this world may make me feel desperate, in you, God, I am desperately dependent. My hope, my trust, my God. And this is the point of Jesus Christ, right? Uh, Paul writes in Romans 5, 6, he says, you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, that's when Christ died for the ungodly. When we were powerless, when we were hopeless, when we were desperate, when we were locked up by sin, that's when Jesus decided to step in and rescue us. Our souls desperately depend on Christ. There is no remedy in the world for sin other than the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And even though it came at a great cost to him, he still said, I will be your strong habitation. Matthew eleven twenty eight. he said, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And we wrestle with this though, right? We wrestle with this kind of uh, dependence, at, at least I do. In our culture, in our society, we are encouraged to be fiercely independent, to be very self-dependent. I got this. I can handle this. I don't need help. But one author put it this way. He says, but it's a struggle to reconcile the competing directives of Christian self-surrender and American self-reliance. We sing our surrender to Christ in church, and then we talk about the importance of looking out for number one the rest of the week. And while we might talk about our desire to serve God, many of us are mostly interested in serving as advisors. Even in the face of desperate circumstances, even when I have clear, I can't realities right in front of me, still I try to carry on as if I can, still seeking to impress my neighbor and wave off the help of God. Really, I'm only further crippling myself. I'm picking at the locks with a paper clip, and it's not going to work. 
submission and surrender to God, dependence on him, I'm not saying that it's easy. Even when we know that it's what we need, even when I know nothing else is going to work, it can be terrifying to let go of the little control that I have and entrust it to God. But for all of those folks in the Bible, all of those real people with real flaws who were not censored out, if they bounced back from their desperate situations, if they came through it okay on the other side, it is only because they surrendered. Because they surrendered. Because they came humbly and honestly and dependently. And they admitted, God, I can't do this and I need you. I love this old prayer from Ignatius of Loyola. It's, it's hard. It's really hard. I think it's really powerful. He says, Lord, take and receive all my liberty, my memory, my understanding, and all my will, all that I have and possess. You, Lord, you, Lord, have given all that to me, And I now give it back to you, O Lord. All of it is yours. Dispose of it accordingly to your will. Give me your love and your grace, for it is enough for me. When we are cornered into desperation, when we come face to face with our own powerlessness, when nothing else is working and, and, and I can't fix anything, I want my heart to be content like that prayer. That line, your love and your grace are enough for me. Heavenly Father, you are the goal. You are the prize that I'm chasing after. And I know that I'm not chasing all that well, but if I depend on you more than I depend on me, then maybe I can get a little bit closer. Maybe you will carry me through this desperate time because you are my rock, my strong habitation. For you, O Lord, are my hope and my trust. And this morning, if if that's where you find yourself, if you're in that desperate world right now, where you're at your wit's end, where you are desperate and you are out of options, you have tried everything else, I hope that your next step will be prayer. Even if you've been praying and praying and it feels like nothing is happening, I promise you something is happening because you are becoming a person who prays a lot. And that's important. That is deepening your relationship and your dependence on God. Because sometimes prayer is not about making something happen outside of you. A lot of times prayer is about changing something inside of you. Prayer shapes our hearts and our minds and our attitudes as our relationship and our dependence with God grows. And sometimes we want something to happen immediately, and unfortunately, sometimes we have to wait. And we'll talk about that more later in this series. And in your prayers, if you find yourself in that place, in your prayers, I want to encourage you, it's okay to be real with God, even if you have big feelings heavy feelings, confused feelings, just like this psalmist. I promise you, God can handle your big feelings. So be real with him. He's listening.
And this morning, if you don't find yourself in that desperate place, if you find yourself in a much more secure and a peaceful spot in life right now, I want to also encourage you that your next step would be prayer. Continually come to that strong habitation. Make that your routine and the rhythm of your life so that it's already in place when that desperate storm comes. And then next, go find somebody. Go find someone that is in that desperate spot. When you run into somebody and you say, hey, how you doing? And they say, fine, but you can tell they're not. Go follow up on that person. Your steady footing may be just the help that they need right now. Your listening ear could be a God-sent blessing in their lives. And your friendship is a powerful ministry. Thank you for listening to the radio ministry of the Bernie Church of Christ. You can join the Bernie Church of Christ here on Bernie Radio each Sunday at 11 a.m. or for worship online or in person each Sunday at 10.30 a.m. To learn more about the Bernie Church of Christ, please visit BernieChurchOfChrist.org or call 830-249-2685. That is 830-249-2685. Thank you once again for listening to the Bernie Church of Christ.